Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Brain Trust Podcast. My, my name is Adam Vass. I'm a tabletop game designer in Glendale, California. My name is Williams. I'm a tabletop game designer in Boston, Massachusetts, America. Adam, what's up? Just living it up. Uh, I'm in a good mood. Quincy, yeah, got a, Quincy, <laughs> Quincy got a haircut yesterday, and he's very cute. Uh, Carrying over to the next day. That's how good a haircut it was. Yeah, um... Erica, my partner who I live with, had to go do some work errands today, so I'm home alone with the cute dog, just listening to Danzig and getting ready to design some shit with you. <laughs> Is Q in the room? Um, not right now, but I left the door open because he has he he definitely hasn't been alone since we adopted him in April. <laughs> like right. because quarantine we're just always with him, so um, we both assume that he's going to have separation anxiety and mm. it's probably our fault. Um, you know what? Nothing you can do about that. At the same time, he's a very sleepy. So, uh, <laughs> if, if he falls asleep when I'm in the room and then I leave and he's, he doesn't wake up, then he just thinks I'm still there and it's all good. So I left the door in case he notices that I'm not there. Uh, but I don't expect him to, to join us today. Well, there's just always a chair and a free microphone for Quincy when <laughs> Quincente is in the room and Quinzo is ready to talk. <laughs> That's great. Um, I'm glad you're in a great mood, and it's putting me into a pretty great mood. That's good. I find that this recording, unless we're both, like, if one of us is good, then both of us usually end up good. But if, yeah. bo- but if both of us are not good, then those are the... The sleepy and like dark episodes of the show it becomes an all timer episode, and the yeah we're we're recording in two parallel universes where <laughs> um the <laughs> the sad versions of ourselves still make we're still us and we still make games. It's just like a tonal swap, so it's like how some amplifiers have like dark distortion. <laughs> it's like a darker versus a brighter distortion. Yeah, they're both distorted. They're both high gain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, it, so we we didn't do two episodes for the last two weeks um, because uh, we didn't want to like cloud feeds and uh, open our goddamn mouths when other people should be talking. Uh, regards with Black Lives Matter and protests and bastard cops and fuck them. So there is a lost episode now, uh, but we'll probably put that out at some time. We plugged a bunch of bundles in it uh, that. That are now over. Yeah, that are now <laughs> over. Um, but there are just constantly running uh, fundraisers and things like that. If you can't physically get out there to join a protest, which are still happening, just because the media is not covered, because the cops start, stopped, for the most part, beating the shit out of people, um, you can uh, donate, uh, sign petitions. There's a ton of things you can do to get active and uh, out here. Um and uh, just like continue your anti-racist practice, and uh, you know, do the right thing. So, uh, we'll. I there are a couple other itch bundles still going on um, for Black Lives Matter groups. I I would have to look them up right now. I'll probably include that in the show notes. I'll include those in the show notes. Yeah, I don't. I I see them, and I it, having a URL. I mean, you know, I love to read. You love the URLs. <laughs> the URLs yeah. on the show. Um, yeah. But but I don't have any in front of me. That's a piece of feedback you took very critically. <laughs> I mean, at the I was like, 
aware that I did it. The thing. <laughs> I think it's that Lucian said it. Lucian caught. I'm fine with. I feel like there's a um, invisible line somewhere in between a URL that I'm willing to read because I think it's easy enough to remember, and then if if it's something like JX capital P two four, I'm not I'm not doing that. But if it's itch.io slash jam slash hex jam, uh, you know that's easy to remember, and so I'll say it, and it's not embarrassing. Fucking masterstroke right there, what you just did. I just got such a big smile when you did that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Adam, you just uh, completed, not completed, you just set up the jam that's, pr- I think, running right now. Uh, yeah, it starts uh, this as week. As this episode comes out. Um, you made a beautiful hex kit. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think we are going to talk this episode on like exploration and hexes, and all my hexes live in t- t- hexes. <laughs> uh that's a very good uh, episode, episode title. title. Oh, same time. <laughs> okay. First five minutes. Now we just bring it home. I'm Williams. This has been the Free Trust Podcast. Uh, okay. So as I'm sure all of our listeners know, um, itch.io ran this gi- gigantic, huge bundle of games um, for a minimum of $5, you could get over a thousand games from over 700 contributors. Um, mm-hmm. Just absolutely bonkers. And all that money was going to Black Lives Matter related organizations. Um, yes, the NAACP and also the uh, bail fund, National Bail Fund. Yeah, I don't know if it's. Uh, it's currently over $6 million raised right now. Jesus um, fucking Christ. I think the day that we're recording is maybe the last day, so it'll be over by the time this airs. Um, but over $6 million, like, that's a number that... There isn't $6 million in indie gaming. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, but people really showed up, and... There's not enough root expansions to generate <laughs> $6 million. Um, and as part of that bundle, uh, our friend Cecil has included his app called hex kit which is um a really minimalist like i would call it a painting app it's sort of an art app it it feels a lot like paint or something like Mm. really um simple tools that generate hexagonal maps for traditionally fantasy role-playing stuff um for a style of play called hex crawling um the game the the app comes with a pack of illustrations that Cecil made himself that is a lot of like more traditional like trees and, and caverns and textures and stuff that you would see on a, a typical exploratory fantasy map. Yeah, so in a hex crawl, what one does is you start on, think of like an overland section of a JRPG or something. So you, the world is, is split up into hexes and each hex has different landmarks and you spend the game moving from hex to hex moving through you know grasslands to rivers to mountains to whatever yeah a lot of the uh, time they display terrain and also like important landmarks and then you know in between the important landmarks is are when you have generally random encounters uh so you know you you go into a river hex then you roll on the table that says you know like river based random encounters so um there's a lot of like procedure to it in a cool way and like you said, it's generally overland stuff uh, for like long distance travel in in RPGs. And it's definitely the most uh, player driven sort of play where, 
You know, you can just decide like, oh, I see mountains over there. I'm going to I'm going to go get up there. And so it gives you a cool framework to move around. But you did something a little bit different with this. <laughs> well, so I really like the idea of hex crawls. Um, and but I think, well, uh, I will get into that later. Um, I, I started playing with the app because it was in the bundle and I probably otherwise wouldn't have tried to truthfully um, because it doesn't always relate to the style of play that I prefer, mm -hmm. but I had already had the app as part of the bundle. So I gave it a shot and uh, Nate Treem from Highland Paranormal Society also has a kit of hexes available in the bundle that are uh, more illustrative and kind of abstract. And I, I really like Nate's graphic style a whole yes. lot. We've definitely yeah. sung his praises on the show before. So um, that inspired me to take it even one step further and make more abstract and more artsy kind of uh, hex kit stuff. So this, the style that I brought in is the style that I paint in and is very informed by American traditional tattoo illustrations and uses a very restrained palette of colors. Um, I just did some, well, most of my work is, is wet brush. So I did a lot of wet, like textural stuff. And then, um, while the paint was still out, I did some dry brush effects. I split them into each color and wet and dry. And so you have like a very painterly textural hex pack for hex kit app that is maybe is maybe less practical or i guess it forces you to consider what you're using it for in a less explicit way than right. say like i see mountains over there and um you know what does this like blotch of green paint symbolize um so it allows the people who use it to make maps that are further outside of the realm of expected maps i think and also there's like uh, icon packs in there of little black uh, line illustrations of eyeballs and flowers and just sort of uh, what ephemera that y you can make it mean what you want it to mean. Um, and I thought that that was a really interesting way to approach hex mapping. Yeah. And it's also weirdly like what probably it's up there with Aurora in terms of my most popular releases uh, on itch ever and it sort of has me scratching my head of like why did this one work and all these things i spent months on didn't work but uh i wonder if it's just that you're heating up it could be because those were uh sequential aurora was only in may and uh now it's june so two in a row i'm heating up <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, I mean, it's just a great idea, and it goes to like what I've started been doing with abstract maps uh, in Roll Twenty, just using palettes and textures instead of battle maps, and uh, it's exactly the kind of like psychedelic, uh, surreal kind of imagery that really gets my brain going. Yeah, I think a lot of it was informed by your GMing style from when we play Heckheads, and. And oh, wow. the obscure maps and stuff like um, I mentioned in the discord this weekend that I think I'm going to do like a like a neon green pack and like a Ooh. purple purple glitter pack because I I did the traditional palette of tattoo stuff for the first set. Um, I have some inks in my like collection that I never use like the, the velvet purple and 
you know, this seems like a perfect reason to get that out and make some weird shit with it. Wow, very excited to play Hackheads with that. That'll be great. That's the Gamma World 1E West Marches. Just convert it to a hex crawl would be really great. Yeah, it, it, I think, too, there's a lot of potential because we, we know, like, the Hand of Glory is over there or whatever, you know? Like, we yeah. don't know what where it is or what's what building it's in or how anything like that. You just put a hand on there. It's like, okay, mm. we'll figure it out when we get there. I think there's a lot of we'll figure it out when we get there um, approach to my hex pack. And I think that's what I like about it. Right. You can just be diving at these mysteries. But all that said, um, so this week I am starting the hex jam on itch.io slash jam slash hex jam. Uh, where I want to see people make not just maps with my hex pack, which is really cool. And I've seen a a handful already that are like really inspiring. Um, That's not necessarily my goal. My goal is more so to be like, what do indie game makers and story game makers do with hexes? Because it's so entrenched in traditional role play stylings. And I think a lot of people maybe never considered what you can do in a story game with hexes or, you know, um, it's such a baggage thing that I think a lot of people don't look backwards. It kind of comes to the imaginary divide between OSR and story games, which doesn't really right. exist, but people, yeah. um, cite often. I think this is one of the, uh, fatalities of that. Uh, mm. and so yeah, that's, I want to hire, I want to highlight that, like bring it back around. This is a, a staple in role play that we're ignoring. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about the uh, the non-starters in the in that uh, kind of fundamental disagreement. Like you know, you don't see a lot of uh, trad games or even OSR games using the story game staple of no cards with shit on them. Like that's yeah. the big tech, and, that, and, and just... that's super helpful. And, and in the inverse, you know, like roll under d20 or um rolling random stats uh in doesn't exist as often in story games because i think there's the aspect of control over your character in a story game um Mm. and osr sort of embraces that randomness a little bit more i guess the question is when does the control take place because once you've developed the character and your osr character is completely yours to control and when once you've made your story game character there's a little bit less uh, like singular authorial control, even yeah. if it's like traditional, not to, that's seems like a completely different conversation, but right. <laughs> um, um and, and I think too, you know, like what can stories learn from OSR and vice versa is, you know, a fucking college course. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's what we're out here trying to do. And so here, here's know. one, you know, like piece of design from OSR that I want to bring over, more prominently to story stuff. I, I've done two hex crawl games uh, in the last year through my Patreon that with varied degrees of success. Um, the first being Street Dogs, which was, hey, I really like the idea of a hex crawl, but what if instead of a random battle, you have a random like conversational trigger? So it was a story focused hex crawl, but I don't think that game was um, as mechanically successful i don't think it accomplished necessarily a lot of the tonal stuff i wanted it to 
Mm-hmm. Then I re- revisited this here with the frequency, which has you generate a random hex map as part of the setup. Um, but it's very small. And it's very, it's very, uh, dil- it, it's not, it doesn't encompass some of the feeling that a hex crawl has in terms of exploration and, uh, range. So it's still something that interests me. I want to poke at further. Yeah, and we actually worked on uh, 8.15 together, the lost game that oh, includes an yeah. island kind of hex generation thing. I just remembered about that. Um, yeah, I kind of yeah. forgot that that is how the island is, is built in that game. It, it is hexy. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's so that we have already made the good lost game. And so... <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to spare you our lost hex crawl because it already exists. It's available on my website. It already exists. You can buy it. It's part of the uh, Wish You Were Here Kickstarter. Um, and it actually has been played on a podcast also. Oh, yeah. Um, shoot, I'm not going to remember the name of it on the spot. Uh, well, just listen to podcasts until you find it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll come back from a break and we'll talk about hexes and um, my exes. Hexes in Texas. <laughs> Uh, now I'm thinking about that OSR character control thing like when it's your when you get to talk about your character it's like a big yeah thing. osr character stuff is almost more improv than story games because you're handed oh it looks like i was a farmer and i have two daggers and a potion uh okay it's like fucking whose line is it anyway like you have <laughs> the parts now what do you do with them you have to make that person a person and the feeling of losing control of your character in an OSR game in like a me making choices way is much more uncool. Like yeah. it is a taboo. Uh, it's compared like to against like, the rules. Like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's that's cool. That's interesting. That yeah, maybe well, that's another one. Yeah. Bringing story to the OSR is is the next like branch of this. Yeah, we should just keep on trying to cross-pollinate until we have all these fuck, fucking fucked-up flowers. <laughs> um, right, so uh, wh- I guess, should we include that in the podcast? Yeah. Fine. We were back. Back then, we were back. And We've here been we're back. On. <laughs> We've been back, and we'll be back again. Um, so, hexing. Uh. I think there's a lot of, I mean, obviously there's infinite potential in what a story game can do with a hex, but um, I think the first thing that I'm interested in, I think that you're interested in and that you're much um, more knowledgeable about is this like distant range that hex crawls often uh, encompass, Like, like traversing a whole country to get from point A to point B. Um, because right. so much of the stuff I focus on has such a t- tight range, and I think, mm, I think my design does that deliberately to, like, to avoid option paralysis or to to keep things um, 
on the theme that I want it to be. Um, right. And ha- having that title location is a really great tool. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's, I mean, restraint or restrictions breed creativity, you know? Um, yeah. I, I only want my players to have two or three crayons. I don't, I don't want to give them the 64 with the sharpener. So, uh, <laughs> that's going on the bingo board. I, <laughs> I want, so I, I want to poke at or kind of in, uh, prompt you more so, or like, you know, I'll, I'll catch up. What can we do with scope or, or range that hexing generally uh, encourages and, and includes and bring that story-wise? Right. So a, a thing that hex crawls can get you really bogged down in is physically traveling through each hex and, like, uh, ultimately determining, like, you know, what uh, a length of a hex is and, like, the time it physically takes for you to describe a sentence that involves you walking through it. So that's something that even uh, when I have maps for games, I try and figure out how I can take up fit, like a uh, vocal at the table time to describe a long journey, taking cues from like books that are describing journeys. And like, do we have a page of description that's walking through this desert or is it whole chapter or something like that? So figuring out it's kind of a right, a little bit, a sandbox game design which is like how many toys are in the sandbox that you can go to and how clearly are they marked um so to take our gamma world west marches game as an example i set up uh five points of interest across the map that were each in different directions so you just have that option of getting getting up and going so if that's your hex crawl that is um <clears throat> you've got a, a mostly blank hex map uh, with one hex where you start, and then just flipped hexes far in the distance of things that you know are there. And you see that with any video game that has you look over a vista. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> the ultimate vista moment. But um, what I'm in, really interested by, your more surreal, um, kind of abstract textural hexes, is how you can interpret color as event uh, in the in the space. So say the hex is a completely red thing, uh, you know there might be a fight there, or you might fall in love there, or both, or, or something. Um, and using that as a little bit more uh, a intricate story generator than at first blush, it takes place. Yeah, I like that. I think, there, too, you bringing this up made me realize um, in a non-hex-based D&D overland thing, you're just present the whole time or, or, or you're not. So, you know, like if, if <laughs> yeah. we, if we want to go to that city, our, our game master is either going to make us, you know, like have a random encounter and then who's st- doing guard tonight while the rest of us sleep. Like, and I think that's exceptionally not fun, uh, because it, it I think it's just dry and it, it delays any sort of, it's sort of like what you said where I, I feel like I'm not in control of not necessarily my character, but the story anymore. Right. Um, because I have to, I, I said I wanted to do this and now I have to do all these chores before I can do it or the inverse of, okay, we're at the city, right? Like nothing happened between there and here. Um, and both of those seem unsatisfying. And I think hexes offer a solution to that in that you have a quantified amount of, content between a and b 
whether that content is procedurally generated or um, p- planned, I guess. Uh, right. So, and oh, good. So I know the distance it's going to take to get to that thing, um, whether that distance is figurative or literal. You know, like I know four things are going to happen between then and now. That seems fine, and and kind of like enjoyable. I guess I don't know. I. Uh, you know when you're like walking somewhere you've never been it feels really long and then when you're walking back you know the way so it doesn't feel very long right Um, exactly that's what I'm sort of experiencing in in overland travel as is um, which I think is uh, unsatisfying in some way or just sort of like perturbs me I think it's a it's a thing I was just playing golden sun for uh, the game boy advance I'm trying to do a lot of uh, things I would have done as a 12-year-old, so I'm <laughs> normally falling asleep while playing Game Boy Advance games nowadays. Uh, but, yeah, the overland travel on that is pretty tedious, and you just hit random encounters all the time. And so, uh, again, like in games, uh, tabletop games, trying to figure out what is the purpose of travel. Is it to uh, make your hit points go down? Are you discovering things? Are you doing both? Are you learning interior stories about your characters um this reminds me of like when i first started playing apocalypse world i wanted to run a travelogue game where everyone was in like a war bus going across the united states and that was the game of apocalypse world and that that game is extremely tied to place like it doesn't function as well as you yeah exactly like there are some characters that you know their whole thing is that they have this place and that's uh, what everybody in those fucking forums said to me. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> you could do it with anything else. <laughs> um, but I just really like the travel aspect um, of games. And so, you know, I guess what we should look at is how do we pack more information into hexes to, to perk that inspiration? And how do we have hexes that are not necessarily violent or scary? Like, Yeah, I, I like what you were things? talking about with the color interpretation i think symbol since we made a guide um do you roll in i just dropped a d4 okay so (laughs) i got some dice on my table (laughs) shit i damn it adam i know how to describe what i'm doing i tinker a lot but now that i've moved to the closet i can't so uh, i just get to call (laughs) you out when you do yeah fuck me so i don't usually do this but i've set all my dice to their maximum numbers um, and I'm just looking at them. I've got a D20, D6. I have three D10 and one D4. I was playing Warhammer the other day. Uh, so I got my yellow septic dice because I wanted to get sick in the game. That's kind of my goal, to see how sick and, and hurt I can get. I'm playing a self-insert character named Will Yopst, and I, because I just wanted there to be no friction in between me, Will, and Warhammer, Will. I just wanted my choices to be mine and mine only. And to <laughs> anyway, Dogman almost bit my fucking arm off. Um, uh, I got him though. Anyway, yeah, that's that's the spread I got. I don't usually do. I don't usually max my dice out because it will it will sour the numbers. The dice will not want to roll that high anymore. <laughs> uh, what the fuck we were talking about? story hexes so i think (laughs) (laughs) well oh this this the topic i was getting on is since we made god i really like subjective interpretation as prompts Mm. um the game that i released this week called sink to swim 
is has dice in it that just have drawings and you you know whatever that drawing means to you is how you prompt a scene um doing colors is with what you said on the hex especially with these like painterly hexes is really cool i think um to dilute it even further from what to what you're saying is like you have a start point and you have objectives um and and there are hexes in between i think maybe even so to to like full on just design it you open hex kit you import my hex pack and you just click colors and you use the paintbrush and fill them in and so they're randomized so you might have like gold dry brush so it looks like little islands or something so mm. um but but you don't necessarily that doesn't mean that's the geography of the place that you're going through it it means whatever you think it means you know i think that's really cool and then i think also a thing i obsess with especially lately in design <laughs> is uh pacing and controlling the pace in a mechanical way so mm. that players have satisfying narrative arcs um in this way you have x number of random story points that are s- interpreted subjectively from the paint between your starting point and whatever this other story beat is whether it's a climax or an ending or if it's just another thing on the way like you you can court it's sort of a, a choose your own adventure with randomization between and the randomization is in your brain right i i think it would also be great uh to to go a little bit more into the like freeform game aspect is to have each player take turns describing a hex on a journey. So that could even be as abstract as like, there's no character sheets. We're just flipping hexes and, and getting inspired and saying what happens. So, um, you know, like is the color of the hex in the Adam Vass super cool hex kit. Is that the experience that we had going through this hex or is that what this hex represents or something like that? So, you're each taking turns and kind of linking your brains together because I think another problem with hex crawls is that it can be really fatiguing as a GM and as a player um, when you are just acting and responding in that way. Yeah. GMless hex crawl is already, a, a, you know, a galaxy brain um, taking that uh, responsibility and sharing it. And even if it is randomized or procedural in, in whatever way, um, just sharing that, cognitive load is going to make the game more immersive for everybody i also think another interesting thing about hexes versus a square grid is you always have like if if you want to go from west to east um you well i guess it depends what if the hex is pointed at the top or flat on the top but you have two or three adjacent hexagons that are still in the direction that you want to go in. So routing is becomes important, especially if I see, you know, like there's a solid black hex, there's like a brown dry brush one, and there's one that just has a couple blue spots on it. Now I have a choice of which one of those I want to interpret and any one of them will still point our group in the direction of this icon or monument that we're headed towards. I really like that kind of pilgrimage vibe where, you know, you know, the journey will be long and wild and, you know, the one place you're trying to get. And because the the environment is unfamiliar in whatever way, 
A, because it's an abstract map and you learn it through play. Um, I'd like to see players have uh, D6 charts or something that they are creating as they go through each hex. And so the first time you hit a blue hex, you don't know what the fuck it is, and then you find out, and then you add those elements. And then elements. you define blue. Or like, right, exactly. Or oh, like that's piece cool. what blue could have or something. So you are having a more trad hex experience, but it's all player generated at the table. So say you, you know, you're all on your pilgrimage or something. To go to Big Tower, you're in Stephen King's The Dark Tower. <laughs> What's it called? A cat. Cat? What the fuck ever. Um, fuck off, Stephen King. Yeah, so, not a fan. No. No, no, no. Um, he's from Maine. Like, how could you? Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> fuck Maine! Um, the main thing I hate. Uh, so... You know, say you are, um... The soldier. And the hexes that you are most effective are, are ones in which you have to do a lot of planning... Uh, a lot of quick thinking and action and like gritting your teeth through stuff. And that means, you know, the first time you go to a blue hex, say blue is like a very tranquil, quiet, lo actually loneliness. Let's say that that's like what blue represents. You'll figure out what that is for you. So when it, you know, you've got these three things, these two uh, like different things happening, you know, whose turn is it to call the hex and whose playbook is calling the hex. I just had a, like a, a light bulb come on that this could be like a cool belonging outside belonging system where mm. we each play a character and we also each uh, draft either a color or a brush style. So like maybe you are the keeper of green. So whenever there's a green hex, you have certain uh, environmental or thematic things that you get to bring in but maybe I'm the keeper of dry brush. So like a green dry brush, we get to work together. We get to build this oh. moment or, or setting or whatever it is collaboratively. And then the characters sort of interact with that. Uh, conversely, if it's a, a green wet brush hex, that's all you. I don't have dry brush doesn't interfere. So you have all these qualifiers, which I think are potentially really interesting specifically with the hex pack we're talking about because you have six colors each one has wet and dry you also have the fade pack which is like a couple colors blending into one another so if this hex goes from red to ochre like does the red player or the ochre player control it and in in what like split you know like if the hex is more ochre is it more their scene or their thing I really am interested. This is one that um, I want to put out there and, and I want to play somebody else's thing. I don't want to write. But I think there's really a cool thing there to go back to, like GMless Hex responsibility of you still get to play characters and you also get to explore the world in a like quantified and uh, not quite rigid, but rule-based way. Right, I, I kind of want hit points to still go down. Like, that's yeah, something yeah, I'm you, interested in. Char characters still exist and still do character things, but you also, as a player, because um, again, you talk about a lot the the actor, director, and audience. Um, yeah. Like, characters are the actors, and then colors are directors or directorial. 
they have mm. more outside of body influence over a scene. And then two, if all, if our characters are a troop in whatever way, and we go to a hex that one of us is in charge of its color aspect or whatever, um, just mitigating your responsibility between those two things always interesting to me too because it doesn't mean your character's not there it's i think it's smart play or it requires smart play to do effectively to juggle multiple responsibilities within those moments very cool my mind is racing let's put a pin in it yeah let's take a quick break i want so i have like two other hex things in my brain that I want to poke around with. I think, um, exploration or overland travel is the one we just did. Uh, do you want me to tell you what the other bullet points are or bring them up in the moment? Let's bring them up in the moment. All right. Yeah, let's go. All right, we're back on the Rain Tries podcast. Uh, we just did a real good exploration whoa, of uh, exploration. overland travel through hexing in a story way or in an abstract way. Um, and I think that's sort of the main functionality of hex crawling, um, distant travel. Mm. And I think for the next point i want to explicitly ignore that and say hexes are not a measure of distance and now what um because i think a lot of the time again that maybe is one of the factors that excuses them from the greater story game conversation because story games generally have tight focus tight setting that you don't want your characters to be able to go super far and anywhere they want um so now let's suppose that the hex map is no longer a measure of geography. It's not a, it's not a geographical map. Mm. Then what, then what is it? How can you use it? What do you like do with it? Yeah. Like, are we creating spatial relationships between things? Like if it's not a map, are we looking at like hexes representing people in a community? Uh, my friend, Justin, Weigard uh, replied to some tweets I posted yesterday about hexing um, and considered using them as like a journal or some sort of shared relic. So instead of um, you see what the hex is, then you go there. The hex is made at the end of some moment and you use it to record information. And that got my brain thinking too of hexing hex development you could you could use a hex diagram or whatever like a skill tree in a video game and have these sequential or consequential developments in your character um and then because of the hexagonal nature of the the things like they branch off they branch in different directions so it it also got me thinking of like how uh skills work in 6e from bats where if you use it, you continue to use it. But if you fail, you get, uh, you know, a more specific 
version of that thing. So, um, you know, if I, if I fail my strength test, the next time I have, uh, weightlifting as like my specialty. So it's a strength derivative, um, mm. that yeah, makes a little bit from Rolf for shoes also. Yes. Yes. Um, so having those branching paths, uh, so, so using a hex hexagonal pattern to show character development or group development or whatever, because um, it doesn't have to be a character sheet uh, necessarily. Uh, group development, beautiful. You're yeah. creating a big map at the table that represents uh, your core. Like, you start with your core biz, you know. A Final Fantasy does this, but it's only as one uh, one character. So you get your um, a hot blonde, complicated hair guy, and, like, he can go in a bunch of different directions. Um, on this ball, but if you, you know, have a spatial relationship between each character and you can adjust how close and far and connected by how many hexes they are, that could be something about your relationship, how you both affect the world. So like, you know, let's say, um, Adam and Will are two characters in this game and they both record a podcast together. So there's one hex in between them. And then we've got a hex between that to like someone who listens to podcasts but not this one or something and then like you're building this relationship map and exploring the linkages and connections between people i like that uh gordy was talking recently in the discord too about a game where your relationship is your stat and having mm. and i think that immediately having a number of hexes between two characters as a signifier of the strength of that relationship um could translate really well to something like that where you you're kind of moving around in flux with everyone so if i become closer to you the podcast listener hex is now further from me right everything has spatial consequence because it exists in two dimensions it's cool how this feels like a phase of a different game that yeah. like this would be a phase and then we would do a die drop or something on this big map we've created. And yeah, so the way I'm picturing it too, this would require like tokens or, or player pieces on the map or on the hexes rather. Um, do you think there's a way to integrate um, the, the, the hex pack, the colors, the stuff um, underneath the ways, like underneath the tokens or, or what those spaces themselves mean besides measuring distance? Yeah, I mean, because it's like physically on a grid, you could just roll two dice that represent the x and y axis, and then you've done a digital die drop thing. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's a weirdly technical idea I just had that you could just do. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's a whole nother thing that using it as like a table that gets into like the Tetris uh, character oh, sheet. People we were... in Discord were popping the fuck off on. It Tetrinos. was awesome. I love that. I, I forget what the fuck I was doing. I think I was learning how to play Zero Suit Samus as people were like, <laughs> here we are, redeveloping understanding of character. And we had a really great conversation, um, Lino and I, and a bunch of others, including Viditia um, and Adam Bell. We were chatting on the Discord about reactive uh, classes and how when you do something in a game, how the game responds to that and rewards you it reacting to you instead of, for example, you picking fighter at the beginning of the game. I think these ideas are tied together. Having a developing hex map that changes with a party composition. So say we're those same pilgrims 
because I, I like this idea. I also just read Hyperion by Dan Simmons again. Um, it's about a bunch of pilgrims going to go get killed by a god made of knives. Um, so you find out about each of them, the relationships to each other, how they're related to this place they're going to, to pilgrimize, which could be the center of the map, and the different connections between them. So you have this very... I like how how fat and plotting the character map is if it's just a big dense hex grid yeah it's not spindly like uh note cards and string you have this like like hyper connectedness and i really like going back to the last topic of you can only move to adjacent hexes so the spaces are are like snapped to this grid that forces really interesting choices yeah it's not always i'm moving closer to the center or closer to the the person closest to me it's kind because everything is at these like 60 degree angles and i'm not going to fact check that i hope the math is right that uh every like spatial movement not geographical space but just space on the on the hex thing that you're playing on um, has two degrees of change to it. Because you're moving yeah. sideways and up and down because hexes just lock in in that way. Right. It seems like a, a cool way to talk about, like, generations of families or, like, sex, branching sects of a religion starting from one place. I, I like that too. I also think it goes the other way where, um, because both of those, uh, branch outward, I think there's an interesting thing of going towards an inevitability. Mm. Like you, like you said too, of the pilgrimage, if, if we're working our way towards an ending, which is represented in the hexes in some way, um, you don't have to go straight there. You can meander and you can try to avoid it, but maybe every instance, the certain, whatever thing, happens um you're because movement again goes in in two dimensions you're always moving in these ways that are tangential to that ending that inevitability and also in a degree uh towards or away from that inevitability and you're playing fucking snake or uh tron where you can cut off other players ability to get path making it it, that's (laughs) A whole new, th- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I know that, so I'm this, so we've got the soldier. I am the academic that wants to get to uh, the fucking pilgrimage, to the tower, because I want to go look at all the books in the tower and read them, because I like reading books. Sure, you want to have that information. It's privileged information. Like, you want it first, and you want you might not want other people to have it. Yeah, you know that like the mystic who's here is going to use the books in a different way. And maybe the apostate wants to destroy the books or something. Anyway, uh, you know that you on the journey, you have to get a couple things. So, you know, you mark hexes are marked. Um, they're like pre-placed and marked throughout this board you're playing on that you have to get to or someone has to help you get it. And so you are th- again playing this like. The hex map is now representing three things: a time distance between you, the you and the target, uh, a relationship map between the, the everyone else getting to the target and you getting to the target, y- your fellow pilgrims, and then a like 
story scene map of what you did to get there. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's a lot, and it doesn't seem overwhelming. No, I I think too it works. I I think uh, going going back a minute to what I was saying of this being a hex that you generate through play rather than a hex that you see and then that informs play. You might have those items or or like objectives out there at the first, but the paths that you make and the uh, connections that you make between characters, um, those inform new data that you input into the hexes. So mm. it is sort of a living thing in, in so far as information is on there and new information is recorded on there from play. Right, and you st- you start with this very sparse understanding of your character, just the name like the academic. But you know, say you know whatever character card you has has like three hex. On the third hex you go on, you find out your name, and on the fifth hex you go on, you discover um, you know who you're going to betray or something like that. And that- so when you finally get to the pilgrimage point, you uh, the the object of your pilgrimage, you have a full understanding of your character and why they're doing it. Let me add to that, too, because I think that I, I really like that and puts it on tracks, but the tracks are still so subjective. You get to do what you want. Mm-hmm. But going back to my restraint thing or restrictions, rather, um, what if the academic can only move to diagonally adjacent hexes? Ooh, ch- like Chess not, energy. You, yeah, you have some chess energy. Each class can only move in certain shape patterns. The I can scout only can never move, go. Yeah. Hop, I, to, I, I can only hop over. I can never move into the adjacent one. Um, because then too, the plot, the the uh, path making becomes especially fucked up and a little bit harder to uh, plan for, in a way that makes it a little challenging. And I think challenge adds a whole, another layer of like enjoyment to play. Um, because if you're like, I'm, I'm trying to stop this person from reaching this goal. Um, but I can only move in this fashion and they move in that fashion. Like I need to plan two scenes ahead of how I'm going to obfuscate that pathway. Yeah. Like how can I tactically disrupt their thing? So like, let's say the tactician or no, the soldier can move in straight lines, three hexes, but they can only move every two turns or something. And Ooh. you you know that like, oh, I could just really like soft block this <laughs> this soldier. I like how this could equally be a very serious artistic statement of a game with noun characters and pilgrimages and just be a fucking rat race style movie with Smash <laughs> Mouth and Mr. Bean and shit. Oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome too. Um or like the the what's it? The fucking amazing race. Yeah. Or just yeah, exactly. like any we have people competing and your interactions tell a story, and you all have the same end goal. Oh, that, I think just, that's really cool. You're just playing this very fucky game where you know you're trying to disrupt everyone's plans and still get your own. Yeah, I especially diluting it down to having information at the outset and changing that information through play um, to inform later play is really smart and cool. Like. Uh, yeah, Bazinga. Bazinga. 
Uh, I have one more thing. Let's take a quick break, and it might not be anything, but I think it might be fun. Let's do it. like you're not ready for this one but in like a <laughs> in like a fun way okay <laughs> let's let's hear it back yeah <laughs> uh so accepting games because <laughs> <laughs> first of the please, sense. So, let's let us please first accept games <laughs> um, games and those who played them the gamers when I think of a hexagon and I don't think of, cause now my brain is poisoned from games and it's, it, it just is a hex map outside of games. When I think of a hexagon, I think of a beehive. There's gotta be a fucking bee game that's played on hexes. Cause honeycomb are hexagonal resource what? management, honeycomb colony building romance game. What sucks immediately. And I didn't think about it before I brought it up is um, thinking about B story stuff. I just think of the B movie and I don't want, I don't think it's, I don't okay. want to, it's good. I, I ran a game of drama system, the Robin Laws uh, story game where you basically make like a HBO series. We played a version of that. That was like uh, Athens before the Peloponnesian war, but it all took place inside a rotten tree stump and we were all bees and wasps and beetles and shit. And so, you know, we were just a bunch of bees hanging out, uh, talking to mystics and preparing our soldiers and stuff. So, yeah, that's cool. It's it's possible. Yeah. So because I think to build the bee game, you have to first uh, dissect the like ecology of the beehive. You must dissect the bee. (laughs) Which is. Buzzy, going out and getting pollen, turning that pollen into honey, I guess. Uh, And then there's uh, the queen. There's a matriarchy system, and everybody else is a worker. So, yeah. So you got drones, soldiers, simp's queen. The end, kind of. I I think maybe in this you don't play the queen. I think the queen. You for the queen. It's it's for the the queen bee. For the Um, queen bee. You, I think there's something there too. I, I, I going back because I was reminded this weekend too of our vampire game. I oh, really yeah. like having the central power be either not played by any player and just be this peripheral energy that's always present, or being played by every player or some like randomization aspect. So, so no one's in complete control of the rest. I think this is innately GMless, right? Because the GM would be the queen. Yeah. Well, like, okay, for the B game, let's just set up the hex map. We've explored the whole hex map, and it just represents the colony. Yeah, we built it, effectively. And I think maybe that's an aspect of it, too. You're building new hexes, um, because that's maybe what bees do. (laughs) Maybe that's something bees do. They make the honeycombs. (laughs) They don't find them. They make more. So... So Maybe that's our goal is to expand our, our hexagonal thing 
we have maybe a, a, a refined, a small amount of them. I think this would be cool too with the like ochre and umber hexes um, that I that I made just for like cool color palette of bee shit. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to look up some pictures of bees right now just to kind of get in the sure. In the... Okay. Huh, Western honeybee. Okay, yeah. I think there's something here to. So, actually, I'm thinking now of uh like the quiet years building aspects of mm-hmm. using these dice as timers um and having so you have objectives like we want to expand our honeycomb um leftward because whatever reason i don't i don't actually know i'm definitely pulling a lot of bee bee shit out of thin air but so we want to build it and it's not going to be one like, it's not done in one, right? I don't just get to say, I want to build this, and so it's built. Um, so you have to do things to facilitate the building. Because I think uh, in this design, everyone is on a very level playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and maybe you just have some sort of specialization at most. But, like, I think a uh, thing that doesn't... It, it, insect autonomy is really strange and interesting, right? Cause they're yeah. hot. They're a hive, right? Like that's where the term hive mind, I think probably comes from. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and not, not look up the etymology there and call it true. Yeah. Uh, so I think player autonomy then becomes really interesting because you exist in this society that has its rules which you abide by because that's just how things are. Um, you're so only you're more, able to think inside of these rules. But I like that thinking again to the quiet year of like, we're all working together. It's not an adversarial game and there's no like shit Lord player. It's just like, we all want to build the hive out. So we have to work together efficiently to do so. Um, I think the drama maybe comes from, like you said at the at the get go, there's some resource aspect to it. Mm. Um, maybe because it's hard to like role play an insect, like an insect intelligence. What right. if the central bit, you know, you've built this honeycomb filled with bees, you've built a colony, and every player is a different antagonist that comes and tries to change the colony, and you see how the hexes react to, for example, a beekeeper blowing smoke inside a beehive or a bear coming down and shaking it or whatever yeah or like a hornet who's trying to like infest it or whatever there's all these different like modes of attack it's you know what it kind Hmm. kind of kind of a tower defense game it is a tower defense game well that's great like you know you are just trying to like warp the each antagonist so like say you're the bear you want to get the honey you don't give a shit about the bees um and uh, the wasps just want to kill bees because they're not they're bad dudes <laughs> these wasps <laughs> and yeah you, you have these different goals um, and the object of the game is to like warp see how much you can warp this colony and you are basically reacting against AI that you're building at the table I see this too being pretty online friendly with the shared with the hex kit app because I'm coming back to this all often of like 
in the app you can have layers. So the bottom layer is your color layer, and that's where you can signify if this hex contains honey, um, so which would be like the yellow color. Um, if it's been tapped out of honey, like brown color, uh, and maybe there's some like thing to generate honey. Then your next layer is uh, like the bees themselves, where they go, how many are in a particular place, and, and what they're doing. And then a, a layer above that, you have like the hex border shape, because mm. something like the bear, the, the bear wants to extract honey, right? So when it attacks, it just turns a yellow hex into a brown hex. But something that actively destroys the honeycomb, um, whether it be like weather or I, I don't know, I think there's probably stuff that eats honeycomb, but uh, that like full on removes the border from the hex. So now uh, oh, that cool. that hex is destroyed and you can then, of course, actively build new hexes over a course of play. So it starts off as like an empty border and then you generate honey in it becomes yellow Um you have this dynamic hex kit application, which is really cool and would be really easy with just like a screen share and having the hex kit app open, which also I now that. I, now I got to make uh, a set of bees for, for my next <laughs> expansion. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, as one player is the antagonist, the rest of the players are the colony. And so you can act as a hive against that antagonist. Say you're playing, you know, with five players. One's the bear, four are the bees, and then you switch to one's the wasp and the rest are the bees. And so each antagonist player knows that their time's going to come around, so they want to strategically, like, throw certain areas and make the pathways for them to extract the honey against the bees. And Yeah, this is cool. I definitely see it becoming a little bit more strategic than it is story-focused, but I right. also think... When I brought it up, I had the intention of just making a game where you are playing with bees. And so, like, I had no uh, preconception of what the fuck that meant. Besides, I didn't want to make the bee movie game. Well, you know, like, instead of, like, I destroyed this hex, you could basically say an antagonist is able to ask a question that the bees have to answer. So the question is, like, how much of the hive did we lose today or something? Yeah, I think too. Um, yeah, I like it. Maybe in, implementing timers or some sort of uh, number crunch within the hexes itself. Um, it takes however many turns for honey to be generated in an empty hex. It takes however many turns to generate a new hex. Um, because then there's one, there's sort of a programming aspect to it, which I think plays into this like bee autonomy in an interesting way. Yeah. Because maybe we wanted to build a hex over here and we weren't planning on, you know, some fucking attack that's going to wipe out the left half of our of our grid. So now we wasted two turns doing a project that won't come to fruition. I think that's interesting. Um, and then, too, like you said, I think you just explore what it feels like in your to to do those things or what it feels like to fail, what it feels like to have a project that you were excited about um, be squandered or what it feels like to have a project come to a, a final place. Um, there, there's a lot more, yeah, e exploration of thought in it than I realized while we were making it. Yeah, and it's just cool to take what we've done like with an OSR aspect of a 
uh, hex crawls and basically see what's hiding in here for other what the other implication is here and what's happening. Yeah, um, that's definitely the 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 hopeful focus of the jam is we see this shape of a hexagon, right? And what does it mean and what can you do with it? And here's a tool that has been on our tool belt all along. It's just like one of those things like when you get a Swiss army knife and there's just one thing and you're like, it's not a screwdriver. It's not a bottle opener. Uh, I don't know what the fuck. my toenails with this shit. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, now, today you're going to figure out what the fuck you're going to use it for. It might yeah. not be its intended use, but it's a use and that's useful. You can tune a snare drum with this weird. <laughs> huh? Well, awesome. I can't wait to, uh, I want to make something for this jam. So Same. where can I think people my first, find it? My, my first uh, focus is going to be expanding the pack. I think maybe uh, within the first week, I want to have more uh, hexes available to, to sort of prompt more weird shit. I like um, that you're making an asymmetrical game where people are playing the jam and you are creating more stuff for the gym yeah <laughs> um here's the toolkit oh it's week two and you have here's new, new tools you wanted bees i can do that <laughs> <laughs> um and it's worth saying too that you can make your own and part of the jam i want people to make new packs um and and, and have them be shared so the, the the jam's not necessarily about my hex pack or any one person's hex pack it's just about hexes uh, as a concept. So, um, yeah, the jam link is itch.io slash jam slash hex jam. Go there. Hex jam. Uh, is that a part of the big or the uh, the hex pack? Is that that's on your itch page as well? Yeah, that's just uh, worldchampgameco.itch.io. Um, it because I just made it. It's not in the mega pack, but um, or the mega bundle rather. It is five dollars, and I am uh, donating all those proceeds. Um, I'm waiting till the end of the month and just gonna accumulate all of my itch proceeds and figure out where to send them. So nice. I just so far I've just been saying I, I will donate these uh, because it's such a, a living thing. So, some places are like overwhelmed with money now, and some places are uh, it's becoming aware that they're more necessary um because everything is so dynamic in in reality yeah 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 definitely do your research before um submitting and see you know what what places need it don't be afraid to go check out their own websites and shit like that black lives matter fuck cops uh cool yep agree uh I'm Adam. You can find me on Twitter at WC Game Co. This is a great app. <laughs> I'm I'm Will. I'm on Twitter at will.com. Um, some important news. I have haters now. It's it's great. It's <laughs> very powerful. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, what? I don't have anything going on. I'm just living. Um, so come <laughs> come live with me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. It has been a great up, and don't you agree? And shouldn't you agree in the comments and the ratings? <laughs> yeah, in the spirit of Hex Jam, go give us six stars on your favorite <laughs> podcatcher out of five. Right, don't give us six out of ten. I don't think that's an option, but I, w- I would be really bummed if I said give us six and it's out of ten. It's like, okay, I did what you wanted. I would be pretty fucked up if you did that. If you followed Adam's directions to uh, a genie like tea like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Brain emoji, handshake emoji. <laughs>